Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listening to Preconceived, where we examine the preconceptions that shape how we view the world and the paradigms by which we live our lives. Hey everybody, I'm Zale Mednick and welcome to another episode of Preconceived. Wouldn't it be nice to not be so worried about money in your life? What if you could spend and save your money in such a way that in a few decades or less, your life decisions wouldn't be as influenced by financial concerns? What if you were able to live in such a way to set yourself up for financial independence? I'm joined today by Brad Barrett. After years in public accounting as a CPA, Brad reached financial independence at the age of 35 through diligent savings and investing. Brad is passionate about everything from saving money to living a healthier lifestyle to the value of tracking your finances and cutting down on your tax bill. But his favorite topic is leveraging credit card rewards to save more money and take trips you never would have dreamed possible for pennies on the dollar. So Brad, thanks so much for joining me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this for a while. It should be a really great conversation. You're going to help me save money, right? I'm going to certainly try. I'm going to hopefully make you live a slightly more intentional life. I think that's that's the goal. So before we get into what financial independence is, and I mentioned that briefly in the introduction, and obviously you run the Financial Independence Podcast, and that's really what this is all about. I want to touch on something that your your co-host actually said in one of the episodes that you did, which is episode 100, which you had recommended that I listen to before we do this, which really summarizes a lot of the key points about what financial independence is. I'm going to put that link in the episode notes. But my point for saying that was there was a quote in it that really related for me to what preconceived is all about. He said, I realized that by not making a choice, I was actually making a choice in regards to kind of following the status quo of how one typically manages their finances. That last part was me just saying that. Hmm. So right off the bat, that hits this notion of preconceived, that most of us do follow this typical notion of what finances should look like, what spending should look like. What do you think that typical mantra is? And do you think most people aren't really making that active choice, but they're just following what kind of society says is normal? Yeah, I absolutely think people are people are kind of sleepwalking through their financial lives and maybe to a large degree through through life in general <laughs> in terms of what does society tell you, right? What do it we're humans are relative animals, right? So like we're looking at our neighbors and our neighbors, if you live, I I live in a upper middle-class suburb of Richmond, Virginia, and my neighbors are buying new cars and they're 
upgrading their house and they're doing this and they're do doing that. But that's what kind of everybody does around me. And that's what I'm seeing. And even I sometimes can fall into that because again, we never learned anything about personal finance. We never learned what it takes to win, to win at life in essence, in terms of, of your finances. And a lot of us hear this drumbeat of, okay, again, preconceived, right? Like, what does it take to be successful? What is, in our case, the American dream? The American dream is owning a big fancy house, right? Because that's the one sure path to wealth, you know, and you can hear the sarcasm dripping in my voice. And I don't think, I mean, actually, what's interesting, again, preconceived is if I had my way, I would rent a house forever in an, in an alternate universe where I could be certain that I could live in this house for the next 10 years before, you know, until my kids get out of elementary, get out of high school, in essence, I would rent this house for 10 years, more potentially, because I've looked at the numbers, I've run the numbers, but most people haven't. And that's just but one example. And I don't, it's not worth diving into that. But and we and we and and, and we will dive into a little bit the house situation okay. afterwards for those who are for those who want to hear more about that. Yeah. So that's fine. Okay. But I, I you're saying from a from a financial perspective, you've crunched the numbers and you think taking away the uncertainty of whether you're going to get evicted financially, right. that's something you would do. But the normal paradigm is no, 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 of course you buy a house. Of course you buy a house. Again, it is the American dream, it's the Canadian dream, it's whatever it is, right? Like and because that's what everybody does. I, I think what's so beautiful about the financial independence community is we like to believe that we take a step back and we look at the rules of the game, if you will. You look at the world as it is and you try to make the best decisions you can for your life based on what you value. And I think so many people fall into that sleepwalking path, that keeping up with the Joneses, as they say, right? And, and I just don't think that's a path for a successful life, for a happy life, because that, that really is what we're doing. We're not trying to get wealthy for the sake of being wealthy. We're trying to reach a point of financial independence so we can spend our most precious resource, which is our time, as we deem fit, with who we want to spend that time with, doing what we get value out of, how we can add value to the world. I think that's, that's the paradigm shift that a lot of us in the FI community have kind of looked at life through. And okay, how can we do this on our terms as opposed to that elusive they, right? The they that impacts you. And, and I kind of hate that, that term, but like, oh, they say you can never retire or it's going to be impossible. Social security is you're gonna live on cat food. You hear all of these, these ridiculous things. And if you can change that locus of control to, okay, I can control this if I have savings, right? If I increase my savings rate, if I can understand, and it's not even being miserly or cutting expenses necessarily, though obviously there's some aspect to that. But if I can understand what my expenses are, then I can know, okay, what does my life cost? And what are the financial assets I need to have to reach that point of financial independence? So it's just that game-changing shift and it's subtle, but that subtlety makes all the difference in the world. And you mentioned that there's really no education on it. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm sure the education system has shifted since, since I was 
back in elementary and high school and university, et cetera, but there really isn't education geared so much towards that. And it's kind of wild when you think about it because it's so impactful. And I mean, whether the American dream should be based on money or shouldn't be based on money, whatever, that's a different discussion. And I think we probably stand similarly on that where it's somewhere, somewhere in the middle. The reality is money is important to live your life, but there's probably an overemphasis on money. The reality is for the importance that money plays in the prototypical American dream, we don't really talk so much about basic savings and all that stuff. What is financial independence? What is the goal of the community of people you've developed as part of your financial independence world? Yeah. So I guess let's, let's dive into kind of the, the traditional definition, nuts and bolts, money-wise of financial independence. And it's, it's under the kind of the rule of thumb. You may have heard of something called the 4% rule. And now, obviously, I live in this in this world, probably 98% of people have never heard of this, but for people who have, so the 4% rule, and we like to term this the 4% rule of thumb, because there's no, there's no certainty, like, I can't promise you 100% guarantee, but certainly yeah. like zombie apocalypse has happened, you know, et cetera, right? But within a 98, 99 plus percent chance, you can essentially withdraw 4% of your nest egg, let's say your financial assets. So let's say you have a million dollars and you can draw 4% of that out per year. Okay, so let's say obviously a million times 0.04, $40,000, you can pull that out. And because the rest of that money is invested, it is growing. Now, obviously years come and go, right? You, we've seen some, some craziness in the stock market here recently. But so there are up years, there are down years. There's no guarantee of, oh, I'm going to get X percent return. I'm going to guarantee a seven or 8% return. You can't guarantee that. But because on average, the stock market returns 8% and you're withdrawing 4%, your money in theory should continue actually growing, even though you're pulling that, that amount out every year. And it is indexed to inflation, to a normal inflation, not to current levels of inflation. But so it's not like, okay, I'm pulling out $40,000 in the year 2022, but I'm going to live until 2062, right? Because of inflation, 40,000 wouldn't be worth so that's anywhere taken near into that. Account in this that is taken into account. Yep. So it's essentially looking at, okay, I'm withdrawing 4% and I'm assuming an inflation of let's say 3%. And I'm also, again, assuming a 8% return. So in that 8%, I've got my 4% withdrawal, I've got roughly 3% for inflation, and then a little bit left over that in a perfect world, my money is actually growing, which is interesting. So was that saying then you're, there's an assumption there of an 8% return, right? Inflation and all that's being taken into account, but you could take $40,000 out of that 1 million and you wouldn't be depleting that 1 million. Basically, if you had $1 million and you decided that you could live on $40,000 a year, which I'm not saying that's enough to live on, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but you could do that and you could continue doing that indefinitely for the rest of your life based on the fact that that 1 million is going to continue to grow and taking the 40,000 out isn't going to impact that growth. Yep. That's, that's what the 4% rule suggests. And oh. again, rule of thumb, you can't guarantee. We've had PhDs in economics run like every Monte Carlo simulation. And like, if you essentially wanted to guarantee 99.99999% certainty that this is going to work, 3.25% withdrawal 
is, is going to get you as close to a guarantee as you humanly can get. But again, we're kind of quibbling over. Yeah. Okay. The point you've made, you've made the, the point is clear that you can create this perpetual money-making yeah. machine at some point once you've gotten to a certain amount of income that is working for you with compound interest. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, we love that phrase, perpetual <laughs> money-making machine, right? And, and yeah, that's the beauty. Again, it, we can quibble over the, the percentages and most people don't really care, right? It's 3.25, 3.5, 4%. What's actually important is that you now understand this is actually, it's based off of my life expenses, right? It's actually not based on your current income. And I think this is a another one of those fundamental preconceived notions that people have is when you look at most retirement calculators online, you see what, what's the starting point. The starting point is your current income. And I think that's fundamentally flawed because it's actually entirely irrelevant what your current income is. Because let's say you spent 100% of your current income, you will never by definition be able to retire right? You have a 0% savings rate, unless the government comes to save you, which, you know, depending on, on your country is, is conceivable, but assuming that's not the case, literally by definition, if you're saving no money, you can never retire, right? So I think that kind of shows, okay, my current income is not what I need to replace to get to retirement or financial independence or however we want to term it. What actually matters are your current expenses, right? So you need to replace, or if not your current expenses, then the anticipated expenses at that point of financial independence or retirement, because obviously things, things change. You might clearly have fewer commuting expenses, right? If you're, if you're not driving to work, your car insurance might go down, your gas might go down, whatever it may be, right? Or things may go up. You might have, especially here in the US, you might have government, uh, you might have employer sponsored health insurance, which you may not have at, or you will not have after you leave your job, but then there are subsidies here and such. So you have to look at all of that, but in rough terms, you can look at your current expenses and say, okay, this is what my life costs. Now I need financial assets and or passive income or dividends or real estate income, whatever it may be, right? I need to cover those expenses. So if you had real estate income that was happening on the side and it's, it's something that's relatively passive, let's say your life costs $80,000, right? And you had $20,000 of real estate income. So now, all right, you net those out. You need to cover $60,000 of expenses, right? And you just multiply that by 25 because we're, we're doing essentially the opposite of the 4%, the, the, uh, we'll trust, we'll trust your math right. here, yeah. Right. So you multiply by 25 and that's 1.5 million. So you need 1.5 million to cover those $60,000 of expenses. Again, 1.5 million times 4% gets you the 60, 60K. So the details, everybody's life is going to be different. So we're not here to talk about like, what, what do you have to spend to reach five? Like that's irrelevant. It's, it's personal. You might live in Toronto. I might live in... Richmond VA, I might have old cars that I don't care about. You might love driving around in a fancy BMW and, and that's something you value, right? Okay, that's wonderful. It's an expense. You build it into what does my life cost and you multiply by 25. That's the number you need to reach to get to five. So 
when you're talking about financial independence, then is the ultimate goal to get to that certain number where you are kind of generating that self-perpetuating machine and saving when you're, I guess, when you're younger, really, to get to that amount of money that is going to start making you that passive income as quickly as possible? Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because I think if you had asked me this five years ago, my answer would have been unquestionably, yes, hard stop, end of story. That's, that's it. There's no nuance. And I think, the, again, the technical definition, yes, that is what the goal of financial independence is. You are at five when dot, 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 you have, you have that amount of money. And meaning in that case that because of that, you aren't as reliant on your job. You can right. do You're, kind of, you, you can live without being so dependent on having a job that gives you a certain salary because you've already got that, you've already got that self-perpetuating machine working for you. Exactly. You are, I would even argue you are completely unreliant on a job. You do not need your job at all. You can, again, choose to do what you want with the precious years you have on this planet at that point. Now that may be continuing in your job because you love that job or you get value out of it or whatever it may be. You may go to a job that you had always dreamed of, but it made a tiny little pittance of a salary. You may decide you want to kick back for a year on a beach sipping umbrella drinks. I don't, you know, I don't recommend that, but because I think it gets boring after maybe five days, but, but if that's what lights you up, then great, try it. You can actually try these things. And as opposed to, oh, maybe someday, or, oh, I wish I joined the Peace Corps when I was 22, like, or I wish I could volunteer. Well, you can actually do these things now and you can test them and you might find that, oh, maybe that actually isn't what interests me, but you can actually try. And, and I think where I was going, that's kind of part of the nuance is it, it's not about a binary, I hate work, so I'm trying desperately to get to run away from something. I think that's where we, we used to be, where a lot of the early people in the financial independence community started. And it just feels so limiting to me because now it's, what am I running towards? What, what's the goal of this? Because while I don't feel that living this lifestyle is deprivation by any means, because if you looked at my, my house, my lifestyle, like we live a wonderful upper middle-class life, but we've just been intentional. We've been smart about certain things in our particular life. Again, we don't care about cars until a year ago, I was driving a 2003 Honda civic. My wife was driving an 03 uh, Toyota Highlander. And I don't care. I, I could buy any car I wanted in cash, but like it doesn't, that, may, that matters zero to me, right? So that one decision compounded over 15 years, that's a couple hundred thousand dollar decision. So some people listening might say, and you've just uh, proven that wrong to an extent. We've been talking a little bit in terms of like, if you got to a million dollars, that would be great. And then you've got your machine. And some people might be sitting and saying, well, how am I going to get to a million dollars in the next several years? That's, that's impossible. But you're saying, don't start from the million dollars point. Start from the, what do you need to live on point? Because once you do that, then you realize, well, maybe I don't need to get to a million dollars to have that self-generating machine. I might be able to get to half of that over the next 15, 20 years. And that's going to generate a 4% that is sufficient for me to live my life on. Right. That is exactly right. And, and yeah, and part of the nuance also of this is it, it's not binary. It's not, okay, I'm not at phi 
or yeah. I'm at phi. And none of the value or benefits have accrued to me until I get to that point. Like that, that's where I think we have really grown as a community in terms of, I mean, think about so many hundreds of millions of people, tens of millions, whatever it may be, are living in, in, in America, are living paycheck to paycheck or are going further into debt every single month. And for them, an emergency is a couple hundred dollar thing. As opposed to, I call that life is lumpy. Things happen all the time, right? Like your refrigerator breaks down or you get a flat tire and it's a couple hundred bucks. That to me is just life is lumpy, things happen and I have financial assets to pay for it. Whereas for people living paycheck to paycheck, that is actually an emergency, right? So imagine the first time that person has a small savings rate and they've saved up $1,000 in the bank or $5,000 in the bank, which would have seemed impossible to believe a couple you know, short years ago for them, but they have $5,000 in the bank. Are they at FI? Are they in any possibility of reaching FI in the next couple of years? No, obviously not. But are there, is their life dramatically less stressful? Is their life dramatically better than it was? Of course it is. It's not even in the ballpark. I like that you clarified that because from what I know about FI and financial independence and your community, you're not one of those communities that is saying everybody's retiring by age 55 and that's it. It's not binary as you've articulated there. It's this notion that, yeah, maybe I still do have to keep working and I still do need to be generating some, some active income, we'll call it, but I'm not as dependent on it and I, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. I've got money that is working for me and I've got compound interest. And that brings us basically to the next segment that I wanted to talk about, which is controlling our expenses, how people can tangibly maybe reduce the amount that they're spending, because that's the only way that you really save. So is there an ideal savings rate? And I, I'm going to caveat this with mm -hmm. it obviously is dependent for everybody. It changes depending on where you live, and it varies based on so many factors in your life. But in, in general terms, if you can provide that, <laughs> is there an ideal savings rate, spendings rate? How do you guide people in your community in regards to some of those numbers? Understanding, like I said, that there isn't going to be really one firm number. Yeah, there's certainly no right answer. <laughs> and uh, I asked and you yeah, an impossible question. You're going to put my feet to the fire here. Is that, yeah, no, yeah. The, there, there's no answer. I mean, I, I think how I look at it is, is, again, slightly different and slightly nuanced in terms of I find, eh, this is going to sound so bizarre, but I find saving money fun and exhilarating and like part of a game. Like that's how my wife and I look at this. So I, think, look, I don't think that sounds bizarre at all. Okay, nice. It, it's great saving money. Feels great. It, yeah, it does. And, and that security is huge for us. And also, again, the game aspect of it. So this is what we do. And this does tie into your question about, about the, the savings does, rate. It doesn't even need to tie into my question. <laughs> go, go nuts. Nice. So it's my wife and I are both big game players. You know, <laughs> we love board games. This is like our, our, our hobby. And so we think about, okay, how can we live the same middle-class lifestyle or upper middle-class lifestyle as everybody else around us, but win in the process instead of saving zero, how can we save 30%, 40, 50% plus of our income and still live the exact same lifestyle. Like that to me feels like winning at life. So we just look for, for little ways to do this. And now 
every person's situation is going to be different. Again, what you value, like I'm not here to stand from on high and dictate to be a card carrying member of the financial independence community. You have to do X, Y, and Z, like none of that nonsense. That's not how we roll at all. So your life, it, it's what you value. But for me, it was, okay, obviously the cars, that's an easy decision for us. People, some people value them. We don't at all. So we had paid off cars for 12 plus years. So, I mean, that's $800 a month. That's a hugely significant amount. If you're saving, that's essentially $10,000 a year that you're saving. If we look at, we look at, okay, how can we make tiny little sacrifices? Because none of this is about, about living deprivation at all, right? So how can we make tiny sacrifices, but still get the, the massive benefit? And the ideal clearly is not to live a life of deprivation. That is not what we're going for, but it's how can we make small little changes that get at the essence of, of what we're looking for out of a situation. So for instance, happy hour. Okay. As weird as it sounds, my wife and I, we enjoy craft beer and we would every now and again, go out to a happy hour. And it's, I mean, beers at this point had a, at a brewery, they're six, seven, $8 plus tax plus tip. And you have to drive to the place and et cetera. And we actually realized what are we looking to get out of the situation is we're looking to spend time together. Right? So, okay. How can we get the actual value out of this? and maybe potentially spend a little bit less money. So what we've done now is we go to the grocery store and we buy a whole bunch of six packs of, of our favorite beer. We have it on hand in the house at all times. And at 5 p.m. every day, we sit down for a, whatever it is, a 15, 20, 30 minute happy hour, just the two of us. And that costs essentially a dollar per beer as opposed to nine with tax and tip, right? So is that gonna get us wealthy? that one decision? No, it obviously isn't. But it's, it's just looking at life a little bit differently, right? It's trying to get to the essence of, okay, we just want to spend time together without the kids yelling at us for, can I get milk or can I whatever, whatever it is, right? Like, and if we can do that, and carve out this time and save money, that's fantastic, right? Another little example might be with our, our cell phones. So a lot of people even nowadays, they're spending $80 a month or more on their cell phone and for one line for nothing special, right? Whereas there are some of these companies like Republic Wireless and Mint Mobile that have, in essence, they have, you buy a certain amount of data, but you get free Wi-Fi. So I realized, I looked around and I said, okay, this costs $15 a month as opposed to 80. Now times two lines for me and my wife, you're talking $130 savings per month, right? So more than $1,500 a year. And we are on Wi-Fi 99% of the time. So this is literally a net, a net negative almost never. And when we're out, we have a gigabyte of data, which just means what do I have to give up? I can't download podcasts or stream YouTube when I'm not on Wi-Fi. So for that tiny, tiny, tiny little negative, I save $1,500 a year, right? Like those wow. are the kind of fun things I look for. That, that resonates for sure. And a lot of those smaller expenses, I mean, the car is not necessarily one of the smallest expenses, but I, I can relate to a lot of what you're saying. Personally, I wear, for example, I wear the same, I wear basically the same thing every day. I have a bunch of cheap white t-shirts and black t-shirts and uh, I'm not 
wouldn't say I'm not fashion. I'm not that fashionable. Uh-huh. Um, I drive also, I drive a Toyota Corolla 2012, not quite as vintage as the 2000 for <laughs> you drive, but there's a lot of things I can relate to, but there's a lot of things that are also tougher for me to internalize that I imagine for some of the listeners are tougher to internalize too. So the phone example you gave is a really good one. Some people might say, uh, you know, it's just not worth the hassle or it just, it's easier to do that. And I can't, I can't imagine that saving an extra or, or let's say the happy hour thing, happy hour thing sounds great. Um, what you're doing. Some people might say, yeah, you know what, spending $20 here or there, um, it's really not going to add up if I spend an extra $20, $30 a week. And I know you're not saying, obviously, don't enjoy your life, never go to a happy hour. That's not what you're saying. No. But how can somebody's mindset shift a little bit? So some of those smaller expenses, which definitely do add up, how can you shift the mindset to realize, oh, not only do they add up, but the compound interest there. And when you take all of those small habits and you put them together, that's how it really adds up. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question because a lot of this is psychological. That's the funny thing. It's like once, like right now for me, the financial side of my life is extremely easy. It's on, it's on autopilot in essence. I think that's, that's one of the, the common misconceptions is, oh, you're in the financial independence community or you're, I mean, I have a podcast, right? You, you must think about money all the time. And my response is I think about money almost zero. I spend about 10 or 15 minutes a month going through my finances. That's literally because everything is on autopilot. I, for me, finance, the, the financial part of my life is about stress mitigation. So you have to know yourself. That's really, that's really what we're trying to get at here is you need to know yourself. So for me, I want everything to be easy. I want to never have to stress. So I do quote unquote, suboptimal things. I keep an extra five or $10,000 in my checking account because I never want to have to worry about, oh, the electric bill is coming out now or oh, I had a bigger credit card payment. I've got to move money around. Like, I don't want to deal with that. I just want it to be easy. And I want everything to be on autopilot. I don't have to manually pay anything. It all just operates in the background. And my money gets sent on autopilot to savings every month. And I max out my retirement accounts and all these things. And I've just made it easy. So that's me. There are certain people I know who are the polar opposite of that. They, not that they want stress, but polar opposite in the sense that they keep their checking account at a zero and they just want this uber, like ultra control over everything. So they know every bill that's coming out. They move money in. They're certain when they're getting paid, all this stuff. And that works for them. You need to figure out what works for you. And I think that that's the critical part, but even just getting down to, okay, can these, do these little things matter, right? So what I like to say, and, and this works for me, this might re- not resonate with you, frankly, or it might not resonate with any of your listeners, but it does for me. So every $100 of expenses that I can, if I can cut out $100 of expenses out of my life per month, okay? So a hundred bucks, that's like, in essence, that credit, uh, the, the phone thing, right? The, the cell phone issue we talked about. That for my wife and I, that's about a hundred dollar difference between what we pay now and what everybody else pays. That when you go through that four percent rule, and we're not going to 
crush the math here. It doesn't matter. But $100 of monthly expenses is $30,000 less you need in that financial independence number. $30,000. So you need to save $30,000 less to reach FI for every $100 of expenses. So now, again, I said we weren't going to belabor the math, but let's just quickly, because I can see the incredulous look on your face. Yeah, yeah. It's $100 a month times 12, right? Gets you to $1,200 a year. So that's a $1,200 a year saving. And what do we say when we talked about the 4% rule? You take your annual expenses and multiply by 25, right? So the $1,200 a year times 25, very simply is $30,000. So you need $30,000 less for every hundred bucks. So that cell phone thing, that's 30,000. My cars, right? So a lot of people pay $400 a month very, very easily. That's probably a cheap car nowadays. So my wife and I not having car payments, $800 a month between the two of us, roughly. That's $240,000 less we need to reach FI. So those kind of decisions, they add up. They're massive. That's wild. And that's wild. And I don't know how that can't resonate with you. So yes, it does resonate with mm-hmm. me. And, 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 and I trust your math. And I think part of it is you don't need to go through the math exercise every time you're doing this, right? I don't need to be saying, okay, I'm doing this so I can reach FI. But just having that information makes me more conscious of, okay, wait, wait, wait a second. Let's cut out that $100 expense per month because I have just heard how valuable that can be. Whether your math, and I'm not saying it is off, yeah, but whether yeah. your math was off by 10,000 or not, that's still $20,000 of, of savings in the long term. So hearing that for me actually really does help me realize that there are a lot of small, silly expenses where maybe maybe I don't need to spend them and the value of cutting them uh, you've, you've highlighted and eliminated. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I want to talk a little bit about some of the bigger expenses in life. I know that uh, you and your wife moved to, you moved to Richmond, Virginia, um, and your cost of living from listening to your podcast, yeah, it became yeah. about a third of what it had previously been, right. where you'd previously been living. So some people listening to this obviously are saying, well, that's a great situation that puts you in a better position. One that you chose, mind you, but like I live in Toronto, for example, cost of living, unfortunately in Toronto sucks. And I wish I did not live here for many reasons, but I'm tied here and like family, friends, et cetera, for whatever reason, I'm going to stay in Toronto. But for people listening to this, who are in the bigger cities, who, who, yes, they have the choice to move, but there's a lot of good reasons why they aren't going to move. How does that influence the way they go about financial independence? And they might find it tougher to relate to everything you're saying, because they might say, despite all the math you've done, and despite everybody's ability to save less, well, my living costs are just whatever I do, they're going to be so, so high. Yeah, I mean, that is a practical reality, right? It's life costs different amounts in in different cities. And, And yeah, I don't think that my, the path that I took, certainly is not required by any means to reach FI. And I don't think most people would even think it's advisable, right? So we, we 
because again, this is very personal and it's about what do you want to get out of life? My wife and I, when we got married, so we grew up right outside of New York City. So in uh, Long Island, so suburb of, of New York City. So super high cost of living area. All of our family, all of our friends were there. We got married in our, I guess, mid to late 20s. And we looked at each other. And I, I don't know, honestly, how we had the wherewithal to do this. But but we realized that that the, the rat race, you know, we were both CPAs. We both worked at a major international firm. And we had the path to be partners there, right? And to have career, quote unquote, success. But it was interesting because for me, when those first couple of years at, at my job, it was a very formative time in, in that I actually had some, some of these like aha moments of, oh, maybe this isn't all, all that it's cracked up to be. Again, preconceived, right? Like, oh, of course, if you're, you go to a great college and you get a job at the best accounting firm in the world, that that's success by definition. So this is going to date me, but I, when I graduated college, I went to work at Arthur Anderson, which in 2001 was essentially the best accounting firm in the world. And because of the Enron scandal, if people remember that from history, nine months later, Arthur Anderson did not exist. So that was one of those aha moments where I said, oh, wow, like, think of how impermanent this is, right? Think about the partners and senior managers who had worked their entire careers and worked 60, 70, 80 hours a week to get to this point. The carrot was always, you're going to be a partner. And poof, it was gone in an instant through no control of their own. And I saw a lot of these people who had this wonderful lifestyle on paper, right? They were extraordinarily stressed because they were spending all of their money. Mm. And no matter how much income you earn, if you're saving zero, you are always one calamity, one calamity away from disaster, right? True disaster from losing your home in 90 days, right? That's what we're talking about here in the US, certainly at least. And that it didn't add up to me. I saw, again, my partner during tax season with us there at two in the morning, stapling tax returns to be mailed out. And, and I said, like, this can't be the dream, right? So my wife and I, going back to your question in a long-winded way, is, is we, even in our mid-20s, said, this is not the life we want, okay? So what, what do we have to do to make that happen? We knew we wanted kids. Could we ever have a one-income household living in a New York City suburb and live the life that we wanted and not give up something massive, right? So you talk about giving up, we would have to give up everything. Like, could we have one parent stay home to raise those kids? I, I couldn't have imagined a way. Could we have saved for everything, saved for retirement, saved for travel, saved for college with one income? I couldn't have imagined a way. So, okay, what, were the, what was the decision we had to make? Okay, we decided that we needed to move. That was really tough. I'm not going to lie. I mean, that was, that was the toughest decision we ever made, but it was in service of something greater. It was in service of a life that we wanted to live, right? So that was the decision for us. Now, there are plenty of people. So in our, so Choose FI is my podcast, right? We have Choose FI local groups in 300 cities all across the world. We have people, hundreds of people, thousands of people in New York City, in the, in, uh, the Bay Area, we, in all sorts expensive of areas, right? Expensive areas. And there are people pursuing five. So 
to think that it's impossible, it, it, it's giving away your control to somebody else. Like, oh, that, that elusive they, right? Like, oh, I could never do it. It's impossible. Like all of these self-defeating things. Okay, well, what if I joined a community where people were doing this? What would that look like? What are they doing different? The answer might not be that they can save miraculously on housing in Toronto or in New York City. Like, I don't think that's possible. But what might be possible? Maybe growing your income, right? We, we've only looked at one side of the equation here, but what if there was a way to upskill and get a better job or negotiate your salary, right? Like there are people in our community who have taught thousands of other people how to negotiate their salary and get 10, 20, $40,000 raises. Like these are real things. Is that going to work for every single person? No, obviously not. But like, but are there multiple levers you could pull, if you will? I think there are. And even back to the, the ones you're talking about savings, it still is possible to save in those ways in Toronto, New York City and the Bay Area. It might seem psychologically more challenging when you're spending so much on rent or on mortgage payments every month. But it doesn't mean you can't still have a cheaper car. You can't still spend less money on all these other things. And as you've outlined, even though it might seem trivial savings in comparison to all that you're spending, those savings still do amount to a lot of net savings in the future, as you've outlined. So the principles can still apply. And maybe if you decide you're going to live in one of these big cities, then it's even more relevant to say, okay, I've decided I'm not going to move to Virginia. I'm going to stay here. But that means that there are certain things that in my lifestyle, I, I got to make more conscientious efforts to, to, to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. And everything is a line item. It's just a line item, line item in your budget right? So people ask me, okay, now you don't work for a big corporation anymore. And this is going to sound crazy to your Canadian ears, but in America, the biggest stress for people financially is our ridiculous healthcare and health insurance, right? So people ask me like, how could you ever do this? How could you pay for health insurance? I mean, it's absurdly expensive. It cost, I think we pay premiums. This is just money essentially thrown away for catastrophe insurance. We pay $1,300 a month. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That I, can't, gets us, I can't relate to that in Canada. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. That gets us essentially $0 of coverage for the first like $7,000 we spend. So in a normal year, it's basically, it's basically I got hit by a car or I got cancer. I mean, those that's, that's what it's good for. And, and I don't say that trivially, uh, trivially, obviously, but no, no, that, you're saying it's is, not good for, I need to go to the, I, I need to go see my doctor because no. I'm having some abdominal pain or I'm having, no, acid no, no, that'll cost you a couple hundred dollars to just yeah. to show up to the doctor in addition to the $15,000 a year I pay in premiums. But, but again, this is not like, oh, poor me. It's well, it is, oh, poor me, right. But like, poor but you. realistically it's a line item in my budget and I account for it. Okay. So there's no surprise here. Just like if I lived in Toronto or I lived in New York City, my housing is going to be extraordinarily expensive. And I understand that. And then I realize, okay, maybe the 50% savings rate is absurd for me. But what if I saved 20%? Is there a way to get there? Is there a way to make this a fun game where I can do that? Are you going to be in a better position saving 20% of your income or even 15, 10, whatever it is, than zero? I think, yes, obviously you are. So it doesn't, it, it's not about, it's not about keeping up with the Joneses, right? In terms of, oh, look at those people in the FI community. That, that just becomes self-defeating. It's about what can you do to make your life better? Yeah. I think that's accessible to everybody. So you've addressed so many preconceptions here, and I think you've given a really important paradigm for how people can look at money. Some people might push back and say, 
a lot of this is predicated on saving your money earlier. Not, not all of it, but the earlier you save your money here, the better, because then you get that machine working for you and you get the passive income. There are people I, I, I know or I've heard of who say, I want to spend my money and enjoy my life right now. Life is short. When I'm youngest, I'm healthiest. And I want to not worry about saving. I want to live paycheck to paycheck and I want to spend and be happy right now. How would you respond to that? I understand where they're coming from. I really do. And I think, but I, I think it's it, the fundamental starting point of that is, is flawed in that like, I don't look at my life. I, I conceptualize my life as we are rolling in abundance, absolutely rolling in abundance. And I don't think even from the, the time we started saving money that there was ever a point where I felt deprived. And that's how I started looking at this. And in terms of, okay, so clearly saving money early and doing all the right things. If you could go back in time and be 22 again or 18 again before you go to college and take out hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt as some people do, sure, it'd be nice to be perfect from the time you're 18. But I think the cool part about financial independence is it doesn't matter. It's just a math equation. So you can look at, we have, and I'll send this to you so you can put it in the show notes, but we have a, an article on savings rate and calculating your savings rate and understanding the compounding, right? So if you start, no matter where you start or when, when you started in essence, if you save 50% of your income, if you're starting from a zero, zero dollar net worth and you save 50% of your income, you reach financial independence in 17 years, okay? That doesn't matter if you start at 22 or if you start at 52, the equation is the same. So mm -hmm. that I think, again, is, is another beautiful thing. We've had people in our community who we've interviewed who they were an absolute train wreck in terms of finances, in terms of their life until... I, I remember one woman who I'm friends with, she was 45 and it's now five years later and she is dramatically down the path to five and she couldn't have imagined that. And it just, it became, it came from that point of intentionality. So does it, is it always better to start saving early and be perfect early? Sure. But I mean, Zayla, is that, is that reasonable? Like I've made catastrophic financial mistakes, catastrophic, but for me, the savings rate has always cured all. It's mm -hmm. pretty hard to screw up your life with a 50% savings rate. And again, that's not, it's not just about 50% because like we talked about, you can succeed with a 10%, 20%, whatever it works for your life. So I'm not here to say you have to radically transform your life tomorrow and start saving 50%. But the math equation works no matter what. And what I would say to those people, but the, the FOMO type people is, Okay. I, even if you take it as, as a given that my life was, was sacrificed for my 13 year, my very long 13 year career, right? Even if you take that. So I front loaded the sacrifice. I left my job when I was 35 and hopefully if all goes well, I have 60 years to stress about money zero. That sounds like a pretty fair deal to me. I'm, I'm reasonably happy with that, right? So, uh, you know, that's even the worst case scenario. And I'll tell you for damn sure, those 13 years were not deprivation at all. We lived a great life. So it's, it's worked out okay in, in my one anecdotal example.
Yeah. And also embedded in what I said was this notion that I want to spend my money to enjoy life now is the fact that you need to be spending tons of money to enjoy your life. And that's a whole different thing, (laughs) but that's a whole separate issue. Brad, do you have any final thoughts for someone who has really enjoyed listening to you and who is thinking, yeah, I want to, I want to make my way to fight a financial independence, but not that you made this overwhelming, but it can feel overwhelming. Um, any initial steps people can take? Yeah, I think uh, what I would say, obviously self-serving, but I, I, I think our what we provide is really, really useful for normal people. This is not for people who are looking to optimize every dollar and, and have a 90% savings rate. We are a community of regular people all throughout the world. So check out the podcast, Choose FI. Like you said, episode 100 is a great place to start, but we have a ton of resources on our site. Choosefi.com slash subscribe. We'll get you my weekly email that I send out and we'll send out all of our, our beginning resources. But it starts from being intentional. It starts from for the first time in your life, probably not sticking your head in the sand and wishing away your financial life, right? So that first point is you got to sit down and no matter how bad it is and just be honest with yourself and say, what do, I, what do I own? What are my assets? What do I owe? What are my liabilities? And what's coming in every month and what's going out? Just sit down, sit down for an hour or two, get that on paper and just be honest with yourself and then say, okay, I can't beat myself up about the past. The past is the past. There's no point in ruminating over that. What can I do today and every tomorrow thereafter to make my life a little bit better? one tiny little change at a time. And I find that empowering mindset to be wonderful. And I think it really genuinely can help. And I think everybody can latch onto that. What's one tiny little change I can make today to make my life better. Extremely well said and extremely important. And where can people find, find your book, Choose Fi? <laughs> yeah, so everything is at our website. So yeah, it's choosefi.com. And you can find, we have a, a foundation, we have a, a free financial independence one-on-one course through the foundation. We have a bunch of books, uh, depending on what uh, stage of life you're in, et cetera. And yeah, we just try to provide as, as many helpful resources as we possibly can. Well, Brad Barrett, thank you so, so much. I have learned a ton here and uh, this has certainly resonated with me and I imagine it's resonated with a lot of listeners. Would love to have you back on a future episode so we can delve into some other stuff and uh, congratulations on all the success you've had with Choose Fi and the influence you've had on so many people's lives and helping them live financially independent, less stressed and hopefully happier lives. So thank you so, so much for taking this time to join me. I am greatly appreciative. Nice. Yeah, it was a blast. Thanks again for having me. And thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of Preconceived. Maybe save five bucks tonight. (laughs) Have a great day. Now, if you're wondering why we did not talk about house rental versus buying, which we alluded to earlier in the podcast, that is because we decided after the podcast that it would be a better idea to do a separate episode on that. So stay tuned. Brad Barrett will be rejoining the podcast in the next coming weeks or months, and we will have a full conversation devoted to that topic. Thanks again. Have a great day.